All right, very cool. Man, I hope that's your cry. Uh, Lord, I need you, man. I hope there's not a day, not a moment that goes by where you're not crying that out to him, that, Lord, I need you. You know, we get in trouble is when we just try to do it on our own, man. We think we got it. I got this one, God. And, uh, man, next thing we know, I need you. Just stay in that room. Um, I don't throw a lot of Greek at you. Um, the New Testament, you know, was written in Greek. Uh, but today we're going we're gonna to learn a couple of Greek words. I'm going to tell you, like, whenever I take somebody uh, um, out on my paddleboard tours, I usually start out by telling them, hey, the Greek word muse means to think. And uh, whenever you take an on, you put an A in front of a Greek word, it means to negate it. So amuse means to not think. And I let them know, I'm taking you out paddleboarding so that you will not think, <laughs> you know, and uh, so that you won't think about things. You can just kind of just blow everything off and just kind of have some downtime and be amused. So, you know, when you go to one of the Central Florida amusement parks, no, their goal is to get you not to think. And uh, so that, you know, you don't mind waiting in line for one ride twice as long as you would spend each week in church. They, don't, they try to get you not to think about that. And try not to get you to think about as you're riding on that roller coaster going hundreds of miles an hour that the engineers might not have been on their best day. And as you're flying upside down, dude, that thing could just dislodge and send you into space. And uh, so they try to get you not to think about all those things. And that is what amusement is. Um, but now today we're going to learn about two other Greek words that kind of work the same way. And they're a perfect illustration of the two groups of people or the the, the person and the couple that we're going to talk about today. And so I'm going to need you guys to help me with these Greek words. And um, I'm going to give it this group one word and this word, this group, the opposite word. Now, in no way am I saying that you guys are this word and you guys are this word. If the shoe fits, wear it. And in fact, both shoes will fit each of us today. But <clears throat> the first word is Greek word, upocrates. Everybody say, Upocrates. Upocrates. You guys can say it too, because yours is going to be like it. Everybody on count three, say, Upocrates. One, two, three. Upocrates. Okay, so here we go, guys. Every time I point at Ann's leaving, man. Look at that. Dude. Ann, you need. All right, so, so here we go, guys. One, two, three. Give me it. Upocrates. All right, and so if we put an A, or sometimes it's an on before it, it negates it. So um, yours is going to be a little different. It's on. On everybody say on on again one more y'all can see you got it on pakratos on pakratos see aren't you glad I gave you guys the bad one all right so tell me the good one tell me pakratis and on on pakratos one more and okay good now I don't have to remember these the rest of this message you guys are gonna help me out I point to you guys you say and you guys say okay good now. There's an English word that we get from each of these, and when we say upocrates, uh, does anybody have an idea of what English word we might get from that? Anybody ever heard the word hypocrite? The word hypocrite? And that's, where, that's the Greek word. Help me, help me out again? Hippocrates. And it's the Greek word hypocrite, uh, for hypocrite. And, and when we get that word, the way they came up with it, the word in its context means playwright. Okay, and so it, it, when you guys uh, uh, think of drama, what you guys are in drama, right? Elena and, and, and Ash or Emily there. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're one of my kids. I got it. Emily, Emily, Rebecca, Frederick. All right. What, uh, what is the symbol for for drama? 
Okay, two masks and one's smiling and one's frowning, right? But, and so really uh, in the Greek theater, there was only one actor. And in fact, there were no actresses. It was only one actor. And they would have the stage and then they would have you know, the backdrop, and then that would separate it from backstage. And on backstage, what would be is there would be just a wall of mass that would basically represent all kinds of different emotions. And so if this guy, because they're only actors, wanted to play the role of a woman, he would uh, go back and find the mask that would, that would uh, you know, represent a woman. And you guys, you can kind of figure out what that mask would look like. And girls, when he wanted to become a man, you know, he would put on a man mask. Women, what would a man mask look like? What do you think? I didn't, notice I didn't ask the guys about the woman mask. <laughs> I didn't want to get anybody in trouble. But he would put on a mask that would just kind of be, if he wanted to put on a mask, that, I see Carl smiling, man. Carl's like, dude, I ain't saying nothing. All right, but... If he wanted to put on a mask of, of being happy, he'd put on that. And then he would go back and he would put on another mask of being sad. Another mask of being Macaulay Culkin and being surprised going, <gasps> you know, he would put on all these different masks and come out and play a different person. So the word hypocrite came to mean somebody who was being someone that they're not. They would put on different masks in different situations to be something that they are not. Anybody know any hypocrites? All right, how many of y'all saw one in the mirror this morning? Yeah. Anybody? Yes, we're all hypocrites in our flesh. When we're spirit-filled, we're not, man. We're comfortable in our identity with Christ and who he's made us be. But when we start living in the flesh and we start trying to be this to one group and this to another group and this to this person and that, man, all of a sudden we become sad and we become in turmoil inside because we know we're a hypocrite in there and God doesn't want us to be that way he wants us to see life from his perspective and so your word again is hypocritos you got it uh, Pittsburgh Rob what, what? you got it man hypocritos you got it come on you got to say it all right with that Pittsburgh draw man I got it hypocritos all right he's got it man and so that's that playwright all right that's that's the playwright and now your word again is Okay, this is a cool word too because um, the the Latin word is the word uh, a version of this word is the word we get the word sincere from. Okay, so the Greek said, all right, this is just the opposite of a hypocrite. So the opposite of being a hypocrite is being sincere. You're either a hypocrite or you are sincere. And so the Latin word came from two words, sign and seer. And, and if you go on Wikipedia, they're saying, well, we don't really have proof of that. You know, it's like, whatever. It's been, I've been taught that for 20-something years. And, 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 and so the Latin word sincere means without wax. And this is what used to happen is that um, back in the day, there would be sculptors. And sculptors would have this beautiful piece of marble or stone. And they would be chiseling away and chiseling away. And sometimes they would make mistakes. Can you believe somebody would make a mistake? They'd make a mistake and they would chisel too much out or crack something. And instead of throwing the piece away, what they would do is they would take wax. And they would start filling the imperfections with wax and the cracks with wax. And then they would polish it with wax and paint it and give it color. And you would see this beautiful, polished, shiny statue that looked perfect until you brought it home and put it next to your little sundial in your garden. And the sun would hit it and the wax would melt out and you would see all the imperfections. 
How many of you would say that's your husband after you got married? I'm just joking. <laughs> no, isn't that, that's one of the problems in a relationship and in marriage is that we have this beautiful picture of who this person is until we start living with them. And, and that's, that's perfect, man. God wants us to be able to live in those strengths and weaknesses and learn how to work together in that. That's what I'm preaching on today. But so that, that sculptor would do that. Also, the potters of that day, they would have a field that they owned. And that was valuable property, considering most of the people in Jesus' days were slaves. So if you owned a field and you were a potter, there were only a limited number of digs. In fact, you guys remember when um, Judas uh, betrayed Jesus, he, uh, had 30, he, he was paid 30 pieces of silver. And then he, he was in, threw it away. And then what the religious leaders did was they bought a potter's field to bury the poor in. And the potter's field was a place where there were just holes dug out where the potter said, I can't get any more good clay out of it. And so they just buried, you know, poor dead people in it now. But so the potter, man, he had limited number of, of digs to get good clay to be able to make his pottery. And that was his living. And so he would make these pots for all kinds of purposes. And he'd fire them up and sometimes they would crack. And so instead of wasting it, he's like, oh, and unscrupulous potters would again take wax and they would fill the imperfections with wax. And somebody would go to a table, and they would go, and they would buy, you know, a pot, and they would go, oh, what a beautiful pot. Oh, yeah, I worked extra hard. I polished that one up. And they would take it home and put their chicken noodle soup in it on a cold day like this, and all of a sudden, it would all end up in their lap because the wax melted out on it. And they were disappointed. Isn't that how disappointed you are when you find someone who's not what they appeared to be? Isn't that what we are to people when we're a hypocrite and we're not what we appear to be? Man, I'm not sure where we're going with all of this. You're going to see in these two examples because every one of us at some point in time are a... Come on, help me out. We are a... And at some point we are a... You're a hypocrites. Unapocritos. <laughs> All right, we can make a rap song with that, right? All right, we'll talk about that later. So in this, man, um, yeah, it, it, it was disappointing. So scrupulous buyers now, what they would do is they would come to the table and they would take the pot and they would hold it up to the light. And as they held it up to the light and the light shines through, would shine through the wax and it wouldn't shine through the clay and they would say, mmm, and they would see the crack and they'd put it down, maybe even go to a different table. But maybe they would pick a pot up and they'd be like, oh, this is without wax. And that's the word sincere. It is who you are when you're held up to the light. And that's who we need to be, man. We need to be who we appear to be when we are held up to the light. So we've got to be constantly being held up to the light. And let me ask you a question. Who here would raise your hand and say they are perfect. Is there anyone? Please, someone? Nobody here? Because then you would just be imperfect because you just lied. <laughs> we are all imperfect. We have cracks, and, and we try to fill our cracks with wax, and we try to put on all these fronts and look good. And if you don't deal with your issues, if you don't look where you're cracked, how many of y'all know you're a cracked pot? Anybody? If you don't know you've got cracks, you don't know where God's got to fix you. And here's the beauty of it. I'll say this in case you fall asleep in all of this. 
And I think it was Ashley that brought this to my attention. We were talking about it one time. Ashley DeWitt, one time we were talking, and, and she said, yeah, you know what some people do is instead of filling the cracks and imperfections with wax, what they do is they make it more valuable and they fill it with, yeah, precious stone and with gold and with silver. And now were those imperfections, can you imagine how beautiful that piece of pottery is now filled with gold and precious stone? Through grace that God gives you, he wants you to admit your imperfections, recognize your imperfections, and understand that he's the potter, we're the clay. He made you with those imperfections so he can fill them with gold, silver, and precious jewels and make you more beautiful than if you had no cracks. Man, that's the point of what God wants to do. So today we're going to see an example of both kinds of people. We're going to see the one who is sincere, the the anapocritos and the hypocrites. We're going to see both. So let's take a look at the last two verses of the chapter last week, of chapter four in the book of Acts. And so it says, and Joseph, that's another name for Joseph. Um, and uh, the name Joseph means added to. That's kind of a cool name. It means added to. Um, but that name wasn't good enough. Anybody here have, have different, like, nicknames? You're Pittsburgh Rob, man. You know? You're Pit oh, he's got another one named Chun. Uh, that secret stuff? Chung, yes. Chung. Yeah, Chung, man. That means you just do it all with all the Chung you got. <laughs> all right? And, and, uh, and, and Rock Shop Tom, man. Who else? What? We, got, uh, we got nicknames all over here. You know, I won't tell anybody yours. All right, Emily. And uh, no, I'm just But anyways, in all of this, so... This guy, there was a name that described him better than his own name. And it says, Joseph, who was also named Barnabas. This is the first time we hear the name Barnabas in Scripture or in the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to meet this guy a lot throughout the book of Acts. And it says he was named Barnabas by the apostles. Well, who are they to name him a different name? Well, they just saw a name that fitted his character way better than the name he had. And so they named him Barnabas which is translated son of, read that out for me, encouragement. encouragement. Man, how many of y'all know somebody that's an encourager? Man, somebody, man, you are son of encouragement, you know? You are the epitome of discouragement. No, I'm just joking. But man, isn't, wouldn't that be awesome that you were so full of encouragement that people renamed you as son or daughter of encouragement? Man, so can you picture who this guy is? Who's, who was he seeing life, whose perspective was he seeing life by? Was he seeing it by his own perspective? Was he seeing it by the me, everybody else's perspective? Or who, what, he was seeing it by whose? By God's perspective. And so, man, he's like, oh, look at that northeast. I mean, everything he saw, he saw good in it. He saw it, and he was encouraging people. The word encourage means to put courage in someone. How many of y'all could use some courage some days? How many of y'all needed courage to get out from under the blanket this morning? Well, I'm going to encourage you that you're going to need more encouragement to get out tomorrow. Because some of you have school and you have responsibilities, but it's going to be the coldest air of the year here tonight. Man. And so for me, yeah, dude, I'm going to need encouragement to get out. And, and so anyways, this guy, his name was Son of Encouragement. Now, another thing we know about this guy, he's just getting introduced to us. Uh, one of the things we know later is we're going to find out that he was the Paul's traveling companion. He's the one who, who told the people in Jerusalem Paul was okay, and he's really sincere, and he's not a guy that's going to trick us and kill us like he had been doing. 
And so, but this guy, look at what it says. He says he was a Levite. Those of you who are in the small groups, we know that the Levites were not allowed to own property. They were the priestly group, and they were not allowed to own property. The way God had designed it is they were to sell their, sell, just basically work for God, and the people would take care of them. And they didn't need to own property. They were going to get things through the offerings and through the sacrifices and everything coming, and it was God's way of taking care of them. So it's kind of odd that this guy from the country of Cyprus had land. <laughs> now, that's how far the Jews had come from the law. They had been changing things up, but this guy had land. And now maybe they didn't enforce it in Cyprus. Maybe they weren't just allowed to have land in the promised land. But dude, in Cyprus, which is a beautiful island, this dude had some beachfront property. He had land. And look what it says next. Tell me what he did next. He sold it. Who told him to sell it? I think God did. Yes. And that's going to be very different. It's a huge answer right there because it's going to be very different from the couple we meet in just a minute. God told this guy to sell the land. And so when God tells you to do something and you're full of the spirit, do you have any problem doing it? No, no dude, because, dude, if, if I needed more land, God can provide it. If I, it, you know, whatever. God said, get rid of this, sell it, help the brethren. Because as we see, as we saw last week, is that basically now there was 5,000 plus Christians. And some of them didn't live there. And they're there longer, but they're trying to learn as much as they can about this new religion, this Christ, resurrected Christ. And they run out of food, run out of housing. And so the church came together for this one-time scenario. And they were now putting their, their money together, their resources together to make sure everyone in the church was taken care of. And so this guy, he's like, dude, I got this land here. Man, sell it. He sent a text over there to his real estate agent. Real estate agent sold it. They wired the money over to Jerusalem. Bam, there it was. Boom, he sold it. And look what it says. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, again, that's not something that um, is necessarily to be of all times. The book of Acts is a book of transition. There are things we can learn from it. Um, you, you're not so, first of all, there's no apostles right now. I'm not an apostle. I'm just one beggar trying to show another beggar how to get a piece of bread. If I found a piece of, oh my goodness, God bless you. Not because you sneezed, but you blew up. But anyways, <laughs> but you know, there's no more apostles. You know, those were a specific group of people during this apostolic time. You know, if I found some solution in God's word this week, man, I saw God working my life. That's what I want to share with you all. And that's who a preacher is. That's who a pastor is, you know, in, 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 for starters in all of this. So what they did is at this point, the apostles were in charge. They put the money at his feet. We have a rusty bucket and a basket. And you can put the money right there. If God tells you to sell your land, but don't you dare sell it. Don't go do anything unless God tells you to do it. That is the New Testament practice. There's no legalistic giving is what is what I'm saying. It's not, you know, I'm not saying you can't tithe. The principle is awesome. But the New Testament principle is asking God, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to do? And it can be your it can be your time, talent and treasure. It's all three. He wants it all. He bought you. He paid for you with a price with his own blood. He paid for you with the highest price that anybody could pay. And you, every bit of you belongs to him. So with your time, talent, and treasure, what are you giving back to him? And it should be all. Well, I give my time so I ain't giving treasure. Well, I give, dude, it's all his. And you're supposed to ask him. People who just simply say, oh, I give my 10%, I give my 10%. Dude, please don't stop doing that, all right? It costs rent to rent this building and, you know, and different stuff, but... 
But there's more to it than that. The beauty of it is you have a God living inside of you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ask him. And let him speak to you and show you what he wants. It might be a praise jar. <laughs> you never know what it is. And that's how God works. That's how he operates in all of this. But this guy who was a, help me out with the Greek word again. I, you have it. Go ahead. I, you, you got it. Tell me again. Anapocritos. Uh, Anapocritos. He was an He was without wax. He was sincere. This guy was like, whatever you got, God, it's yours. He came as a Levite. You know what a Levite is? It's the ultimate legalist. This is God's rules. This is what we do. This is the God's rule. It was a box that you had to fit in. And now he's freed because he surrendered his life to Jesus. The ultimate sacrifice on the cross, he believed that paid for him. He believed that when he gave his life to Christ, he now has the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And the Holy Spirit will tell him what to do in any given situation. And he says, sell the land. It's like, awesome. I may never go back there again. Or if I do, you'll give me another piece and I'll sell that. Whatever you want, God, I don't care. You're the boss. And that's the freedom he had now as opposed to the legalism he had as a Levite. And so this guy was the opposite of a hypocrite. Was he perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. But what he did is he took his flaws, and you're going to see through Scripture as we look at Barnabas, because Barnabas doesn't have the greatest history. He actually gets in a fight with some of the apostles later, and they split, and God does some cool things. But what Barnabas did is what we need to do. We need to recognize our flaws. And instead of covering them up with wax and acting like we don't have any, putting our church face on before we walk into church. <laughs> Hi, I'm Billy Biblehead. I'm Sally Sunday School. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Before we put on that church face. Man, we need to recognize the flaws we have, and we need to let God, through his grace, his infinite, mighty, powerful grace, fill them with gold, silver, and precious jewels, man, and become even more beautiful than if we never had flaws to begin with. That's what we need to do. That's Barnabas. Now let's take a look at the next couple. So as you can imagine, in the church... Basically, they brought it up, like, oh, yes. And they, he's like, dude, that guy sold it. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's going to feed a bunch of people in the church. That's going to pay for hotel rooms. That's going to take care of people. Awesome. And so this guy, Annas, and his wife, Sapphira, they saw that. And they were like, hmm, that looks pretty cool. Hey, you know, man, look how they're making a big deal over Barnabas. Nobody made a big deal over us. Hey, you know what, man? Hey, we can do something like this. Hey, remember that old back 40 we got? <laughs> you know, that junk for Jesus. Now, it might even have been a good piece of property. But they said, you know, man, we, we could sell this stuff. And I believe they truly were believers. I believe they had the Holy Spirit in them. But just like us, we become hypocrites sometimes. We, we, port, we portray something that we're not. We become something that we're not. We put on this mask. And so these guys were looking saying, wow, I like the praise they got. How many of y'all like praise? Do you guys like praise? Man, do you like praise? Or, or how many of y'all just like being beat up? Everybody's saying, you're an idiot. No, you know, don't we like praise? Man, and you got to be careful. In the book of Proverbs, they say that uh, Solomon said, you can tell a lot more about someone by how they handle praise than by how they handle criticism. And the Bible says a lot about how you handle criticism. But man, be careful when you praise, man. Make sure God gets all the glory. Be a mirror and reflect it all back to God. Because that's where it came from. So Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, you know what? They saw this, and for whatever motive, whatever reason, they sold their property. 
And maybe God did tell them to sell their property, but God didn't tell them to do with the proceeds what they did with it. Because, and, and there's proof of that. But I think they kind of saw the praise and they kind of said, man, I want to be like Barnabas. I want, to, I want to do this. I want people to like me. I want people to say, oh, I want them to give me a new name, son of property seller. Yes. I want a, I want a new encouragement, oh, son of encouragement, son of supplier, whatever, something other than Ananias. That's like a stupid name. But it's like they wanted a new name. And so they sold a possession. Anything wrong with that? Maybe. Is there anything wrong with it if God told them to do it? Is there anything wrong with it if God didn't tell them to do it? Yes. You see how important it is to get God's wisdom and God's answer on the things that we're doing? Something as simple as a possession, man. They may be stuck it on Craigslist. Let's see what happens. Verse 2. And he, that's Annas, kept back a part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's what happened. They had a wheelbarrow full, and outside of the church or outside the temple, wherever they were meeting, he took a portion of it, and he came in, and he brought it to the apostles' feet. Now, let me ask you a question. If you sell a piece of property, is it wrong to only give a piece of it? No. No. Is it wrong to give all of it? No. No. It's wrong when you don't give what God wants you to give, and you lie about it. So here's what we know later about what this guy did is he took a piece out of the wheelbarrow and he said, oh, here's all the proceeds from the property that we sold that was so valuable. Look at us. Give me a new name. Show me. And so he acted as though he was just Mr. Sacrifice and gave it all. As opposed to it was his property. He didn't even have to sell it unless God told him to. He didn't have to give any of it unless God told him to. But what he for sure didn't have to do is he didn't have to lie about it. He didn't have to keep a piece, especially if God was told him to give it all. He didn't have to keep a piece and then make it a big deal like he did something huge. And you know what you're going to find in the book of Acts here? This is the beginning, and God makes there be great consequences. Anytime the Jews start something new, anytime something new starts in the Bible, God makes examples. Do you guys remember when Joshua um, first started conquering, and they were like, ah, oh, and they were just... That little army conquering these big, big countries and big empires. They were doing all kinds of stuff. And then they went in against this little group of people where they didn't even need many of their army. And they went in against them, and all of a sudden they got sent running. And they come back, and they're like, what's happened? What's happened? And Joshua's on his face for God. Oh, God, what happened? You let us down. And God said, get up. <laughs> That's exactly what God says. Get up. He said, I didn't let you down. You let me down. He said, go, there's sin in the camp. Go check. I want you to bring all the family out. Next day, they got all the families out of their tent. And God said, I'm going to reveal to you who's responsible for this defeat. And they got to Achan. And they got to Achan's tent. And Achan confessed and said, yeah, man, there were just this beautiful bathrobe from Babylon. And there was this beautiful piece of gold and all this. And, and yeah, I buried it in my tent. I know I should have given it to the Lord, but I wanted it. But I gave all this other stuff. And guess what God did to Achan? Killed him. Just like that. To set an example to say, look, man, this is what I expect in you worshiping me and you being righteous. And he did that. Now, he didn't do that a lot more, but he did it at the beginning here. And he killed his family, his animals, his everything, the whole thing. They burned it and they stoned him and burned it. And there's a big pile. And it was a memorial saying, don't you guys do that. 
God's done that a number of times in Scripture when he starts something new. And that's what he's doing here. He's telling the church, he's saying, guys, be who you are. Instead of hiding your imperfections, let me fill them with gold, silver, and precious jewels. Let me make you more beautiful than you could have been if you were perfect. Just be honest with me and be open. And this guy wasn't. So it says he kept back a part of the proceeds, which isn't wrong. If God said you can keep back a part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it. So they, 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 he brought somebody else into it. And that's the way sin works a lot. We got cohorts. His wife being a part of it. And they brought a certain part of it. Lay, he brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Next verse, please. But Peter, and now Peter only knew this because he was full of the Holy Spirit, said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Think about that. Can, what does God know? Yeah, he knows everything. Can you lie to God? No, God knows it all. How foolish to think you can lie to God. And that's what he said. He said, man, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? And again, please understand, the sin here isn't keeping back a part to yourself. And Peter's going to explain that in a minute. The sin is that he did that telling everybody he gave it all. And I have a feeling God did want him to give it all, but he kept some of it. The sin is disobedience. The sin is pride, wanting everybody to think he's a big deal when he's not. And so, man, look what he said. Why has Satan filled your heart? Now, this guy was a believer. I believe he was a believer. I believe the minute he died, I told you the end of the story. I'm sorry. But, man, when he died, I believe he was now present with the Lord. He was going to see Jesus. But let that be a lesson, man. God... If you don't listen as his child, God can take you out. I've seen him do it before. He is very gracious and very patient. But look what he said. Satan filled your heart. Now, I don't believe that a believer can be possessed by the devil because a believer is possessed by who? God. The Holy Spirit has all. You have all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. And now your life on here is sanctification of giving him more and more of you. But if you're possessed by God, you can't be possessed by the devil. But how many of you know that you have been in a mood where Satan has filled your heart? Come on, let me see your hand. You heart filled Satan. No, I'm just saying, we've all been there. You know that ain't God coming out of your mouth. You know that ain't God coming out of your hand gestures, out of your body language, out of your look. You know that's not God. And it's Satan filling your heart. You're giving place to the devil. You're giving place to him, especially when you're not full of the word and full of the spirit. Because if you're full of the word and full of the spirit, there's no room for him. Usually it happens when we've let our, our, our tanks get low and we've neglected the word and we've neglected walking in the spirit. But can Satan make us sin? No. He can fill our hearts, give us all kinds of ideas, all kinds of emotions, but can he make us sin? No. You guys remember, what was the Flip Wilson show? Everybody remember Flip Wilson? How many of y'all old enough to remember Flip Wilson? And you remember Geraldine, right? And what did Geraldine say? That's it. Come on, say it in her voice. That's it. She said, the devil made me do it. Right? I can't do it as good as I am. But yeah, as a believer, the devil can't make you do anything. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested above that you're able with the temptation. Make a way for you to escape. God gives you an escape route. You've got to take his route, not dig your own tunnel, trying to escape a different way. Because 
That's what Satan does in deceiving us. And we make mistakes. So let it be known, Satan did fill his heart. Satan's filled your heart. He's filled mine, especially when we're empty. But he can't make a sin. We have to choose to sin. We can't blame anyone but ourselves. And it's not so that we have guilt. It's so that we learn from our mistakes. And we're not like that proverb that says, if the dog returns to his vomit, a fool returns to his folly. So he says, man, Ananias, why has Satan filled your you know, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep that part of the price of the lamb for yourself while it remained? Listen, this is what Peter's saying. While it remained, was it not your own to do with whatever you wanted to do with it? And after it was sold, was it not even in your own control? Were there anybody, was there anybody beating you up trying to take this money from the church? Got you in a holy headlock, dragging you over to the offering plate and saying, put it in, put it in. No, was there anybody doing that? No. He said it was in your own control. Why have you conceived this thing in your own heart? Have you not lied? You've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. As a believer, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are full of him. And when you lie, you're not lying to people. You're lying to God. Man, some people said, oh, nobody saw that. And I always say, oh, yes, God did <laughs> for me. God saw it. Sometimes I don't let something get out of my mouth. You ever do that? You ever, before it comes out of your mouth? How many of y'all got big mouths like me? Laura? Yeah? Yeah, the other Laura. I'm sorry. Not that. We, how many of y'all got big mouths like me? Come on, raise your hand. Yes. All right, Bree, I'll agree. I'll agree on Yeah. Absolutely, Ellie. You were there too. Ann, was your hand up? All right. How many of you? Yeah, yeah. That, those are cracks God is filling with gold, baby. <laughs> and what I'm saying, man, in that... How many times, man, have you like had it almost count? You're like, you stop. You stop before it all comes out, man. And, but you know what? God knew it was in my heart. I still got to repent just because it didn't come out. Just because the action didn't materialize. I got to repent from what's in my heart. You can't lie to God. And God, if we see life from God's perspective, he's constantly showing us our faults. How many of you have seen some faults this morning of your own? I know you've seen plenty of mine already because I'm up here, but how many of you have seen your own? How many of you have the tendency to let those faults discourage you and get you down and make you feel subhuman and sub-Christian and not worthy to God? I want you to understand today, every one of us have them, and the purpose of this message is this, so you can be sincere without wax. So that you realize when God shows you those faults, he's just showing you places he wants to fill with gold. He wants to fill with precious jewels and silver to make you more beautiful than you've ever been. So when somebody gets blasting you with faults, you're this, you're that, awesome! Uh, now I know where to go to God and say, God, start bringing in the gold. Start, God, start making me more beautiful. But I got to submit to him instead of my emotions and my will. So, man, don't you ever let the devil or anyone else discourage you when your faults are being brought up. Let that be an encouragement to you and beg God to fill them with gold, silver, and precious jewels because he wants you to be a trophy of his grace and he can make you more beautiful than if you have never had any faults at all. Other than that, you just keep putting wax in your cracks. That's it, man. So look, he goes on, he says, man, while it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. 
God shows us this stuff so he can fix us. Next verse. Then Annas, hearing these words. Now, what words did he hear? He heard, you've lied to God, not man. And all of a sudden, it clicked as a believer. <gasps> I lied to God. Instead of, you know, thinking the consequence, well, I lied to men, they'll forgive me. Oh, I lied to men, they just won't trust me until I do a bunch of truths again. I lied to men, well, big deal, everybody does. But when it hit his heart that he lied to God, and he understood how powerful God was because of all the apostolic miracles going on. This dude who'd been lame for 40 years now walking, and he had seen, seen the earthquakes and been a part of the shaking. He now realized he lied to God, and I believe he had some sort of a, you ever been scared to death? No, you're still here, but I believe he was scared to death, and he died. Look what it has. Peter didn't pronounce some death curse on him. It says, hearing these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Now, what would happen if all of a sudden, like somebody, I'm reading something out of the praise jar, and, and all of a sudden, God just, that's not, that's not really true. They wrote something in the praise jar to make themselves sound good. And all of a sudden, God's like, how would you guys feel if you saw somebody drop dead in church? What would be your response? Elena, what would be your response? Well, I'm not coming back here again. No. What would be your response? Yeah. And, and, and would you not take God a little more seriously if you knew God did it? See, that's the thing. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote, he said, you know, men continue to sin because they don't see immediate consequences. You know? They just continue to sin because they don't see immediate consequences. But understand the wages of sin is death. When we sin, something dies, and it doesn't die automatically. But what happens automatically is it starts separating us from God. But we seem to be able to be okay with that until we get too far and then we cry back again, God, please help me. I need you, Lord. So here, this guy got scared to death. He died. And God did that to show the New Testament church how serious he was about his church being holy and how much he hated sin. Not sinners, but sin because of the consequences it brings to people. Man, I love my little Emily. But when she was like this little man, if, if, if she was in the backyard and a big old giant pit bull with AIDS and rabies jumped the fence and started coming after my little Emily, am I gonna go, oh, I love pit bulls with AIDS and rabies. <laughs> I'm gonna love, no, dude, if I love what's right, I hate what's wrong. I hate what that pit bull is getting ready to do to Emily. Man, because I love Emily. And that's God hating sin. Doesn't hate sinners, he hates sin. Because it destroys things. The wages of sin is death. And when you sin, he doesn't hate you. He's like, oh, I hate what this is doing to you. Man, I don't want these consequences. I have some, man, I just, I want to fill your cracks with gold, silver, and precious jewel. I want to make you more beautiful. That's the goal. And we keep filling it with wax, doing it our own way. And he's like, oh, no. So man, right here, he breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those that heard these things, that experienced it. We're almost done here. And look at this, verse 6. And the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. That's the fastest Jewish funeral you'll ever be a part of. <laughs> I mean, dude, it takes days usually. They wrapped him up, carried him out, buried him. Boom, there it was. Next verse, Ethan. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in. 
Hey, so for those of you that think our services are too long and I preach a long time, how long was it for Peter, for his wife come in? Three hours. Now, I'm not getting any ideas here. I'll finish when God says we're finished. And if you ever want to leave, man, go. I told somebody today, like, Laura, I know she's got to go to work, man. That's awesome. I'm glad you're here. My first messages I ever preached were in a nursing home. And I'm in a nursing home, and they're in wheelchairs, and I'm preaching. I remember this one old lady, she kept saying, she said, Brother Eddie, can I leave? Brother Eddie, can I leave? She was distracting me, and I don't get distracted easy. And so I'm like, I grabbed her, and I'm like, she's like, and I'm preaching as I'm wheeling her out. And I put her in the hallway, and I mean, you know, there were nurses there. And I got back, I'm preaching. Next thing I heard, can I go too? And I'm like, and, and, you know, so I didn't take it personal because I was preaching what God told me to preach, all right? And so, yeah, don't worry, man, if you got to get up and leave. We'll just, like, make fun of you as you're going. It's no big deal. No, I'm messing with you. It, I understand. But three hours later, man, look what happens. His wife comes in, <clears throat> not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her. Hmm, do you remember her asking a question? It says she didn't know what happened, and Peter answered her. So she must have asked the question, right? So she probably come in, you know, how you come in when you've got this scheme going on. When you're, when you're insincere, when you are a upocritos, upocrites. Hippocrates. When you're an Hippocrates, when you're a hypocrite, you got that mask on that everything's fine. <laughs> she comes walking into church. She's like, oh, what happened? Because guess who everybody's looking at? <laughs> Dude, they just wheeled her husband out. They carried him out and buried him. And she comes in, and she's all acting like nothing is happening. And all of a sudden, ooh, what happened? And um, Peter answered her. And he said, huh, well, something important happened here in the life of the New Testament church. Let me ask you a question. He said, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Now, you know what? I think that was not Peter's ploy to convict her. I think it was, what do you think that was, Natalie? This is like small group, man. Do you think God was giving her an opportunity to repent? Yeah, thank you for answering the right way. No, I'm just joking, but I saw it coming out, man. Yeah, God was not, Peter wasn't trying to convict her. Peter was giving her an opportunity to come clean. Instead of filling her cracks with wax, filling her cracks with gold and silver and doing the right thing. And so he says, man, tell me whether you sold this for so much. I think the first thing she should have done is look around and see if her husband was there. <laughs> hmm, he's gone. <laughs> maybe, they're get, maybe they're getting ready to do a parade because of the great things he did and all that. I don't know, you know, but you know what? There's a proverb that says that the righteous are as bold as the wicked flee when no one's chasing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Think about that. The wicked flee when no one's chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Have you ever been guilty and you think everybody's after you? Yeah, that's called schizophrenia. I'm, no, I'm just joking. But we are. When we're guilty, don't we, aren't we always looking over our shoulder and we're always running and nobody's chasing us? Man, I'll tell you what, I'm a little different, and i got to tell you this story real quick, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get back to scripture, I promise. But um, <clears throat> just show you how true this was. When we were growing up, it was 4th of July, and 4th of July, we used to sit out by the curb, and I remember it was a garbage can night. You know, you guys remember when we put garbage cans? It was garbage can night. We had those metal garbage cans, and we're out by the curb. The whole neighborhood, you remember when you just had to come in? The whole neighborhood loved each other, played with each other, and you had to come in when the streetlights were on unless it was a special night you know, like 4th of July, but we're out there with our own sparklers, and we didn't burn each other, and, 
you know, maybe, well, but anyways, we're on there, and I remember mom giving us all watermelon, and uh, we're all eating watermelon, and um, now this is Orlando, and back when there was no concrete, no Disney, nothing, we're sitting there, and we're eating watermelon, everybody's sitting there, and everybody's kind of throwing their garbage, you know, their watermelon rinds in the garbage can, and a car comes by, and back then, people didn't have air conditioning, so windows were open, and so I just nonchalantly, with my athletic prowess, I just flicked that watermelon rind, and it landed right in the driver's lap. Man, it landed right in his lap, and the driver goes, and skidded. What did everybody on the garbage cans do? Yeah, dude, like cockroaches when you flick on the light, man. Pow, they were gone. And, uh, and, but guess what I did? I sat there. I don't know what possessed me. It was because I was evil and unsaved at the time, and I was an instigator. That's what they call me. I still don't really know what that means. But anyways, I, I, I sat there on the garbage can, and you know what the dude, he screeched and got out of his car. You know what he asked me? Did he come after me to beat me up or anything? He said, where did they go? Yeah, that's what he said. Where did they go? Why didn't he think I did it? Because human nature is you run if you're guilty. And I was just trying that out, and it worked. And so now the world's good at this, right? The politicians are awesome at it. But back then, this was a new thing. People still had morals. It was a leave it to beaver world. And so the dude said, where did they go? And I said, oh, that way. He chased them and chased them. I sat on that garbage can, and I watched the whole thing go down. And finally, about a half hour later, I could have probably taken the dude's car. He had keys and everything. Man, I sat there and watched it, and he comes back and said, you tell them I'm going to kill them if I see them again. And I'm just like, all right, you know, and, and everybody comes back to the garbage can like, they're like, who did it? Who did that? And they're all looking, Billy, was it you? Bobby, was it you? And finally, I'm like, I did it. And they're like, what? You didn't run. And I was like, yeah, I'm just kind of checking to see what go on. Uh, because the natural instinct is when you're unrighteous, when you've done something wrong, you're running when nobody's chasing you. But when you're righteous, you can be bold as a lion. When you're a hypocrite and you know you got a face on, you're always scared of somebody pulling the mask off. But guess what? If everybody knows you're cracked, like me, and like you, if everybody knows you got cracks and you're in the process of letting the heavenly blacksmith fill it with gold, silver, and precious jewels by his grace, there's nothing to hide, even if it's only half full. Even if he's not done, how many of y'all are God done with? Anybody here God's done with? You say, yes, look at me, I'm done. <laughs> no, man, he's still working on all of us. So quit trying to cover it up and fix it yourself. Man, accept the grace. He wants to fill your cracks with gold and silver and precious jewels and make you more beautiful than you could be if you had no imperfections. So that's what this was an opportunity. She could have said, oh, my husband, <laughs> right? Anybody ever say that? <laughs> she could have said, man, my husband. All right, all right, all right, all right. You know what? I didn't want to go along with it. I didn't want to do this. She could have said, hey, I'm guilty. It was my idea. She could have fessed up at this point. And I don't know what God would have done because she didn't do it because she's a hypocrite. She was pretending to be something that she wasn't. And so look what happens in this. And Peter answered, tell me whether you sold this land for so much. And look what she said. What'd she say? Yes. yes. For so much to the dollar figure $532.83 yes it was sold for that much they had a plan and they weren't backing off of it you know sometimes we stick with a bad plan because we've invested so much time into it you ever do that <laughs> leave quit 
do the right thing. It's so much better to repent and get out of it than to continue something that's wrong just because you got a lot invested in it. And she said yes for so much. Ethan, next verse. Then Peter said to her, how is it? <laughs> how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord again to lie to God? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband, look, they're, they're right there at the door, and they're fixing to carry you out. Next verse. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Again, Peter didn't pronounce a death sentence on her. You know what? The way to sin is death. It just this happened to be physical death. The wages of sin is death. Something's going to die when we sin. And just because we covered up being a hypocrite doesn't mean we escape the consequences. It just means they're that much worse when people pull the mask off, when it's all exposed. She breathed her last. Young men came in and found her dead, carried her out, and buried her by her husband. Look at the last verse we're looking at. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. That's the purpose of God doing this. Now, if they're believers, where did they go when they died? Where'd they go? Yeah. Did they lose their salvation because they were found out to be hypocrites? No, and neither will you. But you lose your testimony. Man. I, I quoted it on Facebook this morning, but I remember in the 90s when I was a youth pastor, there was a group called DC Talk. Anybody remember DC Talk? And then from that, those of you who know who Toby Mac is, that's old school Toby Mac, all right? And in there, there was a song, I think it was Jesus Freak or one of those, but it had a guy quoting something. He said, he said the greatest hindrance to people becoming Christians today are eight, or for people, the greatest, can somebody pull up my Facebook post and tell me what it said? <laughs> Do you have it, Elena? Pull it up right now and read it out here. Okay, no pressure, Elena. Everybody look at Elena. No. Oh, you got it, Ashley? All right, go ahead. Okay, hang on. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Go on with the rest of it. Who acknowledge Jesus with their lips. Walk out the door. And deny them by their lifestyle. You know what? If you're such a hypocrite, God's got to take you out. Um... You don't lose your salvation, but you lose your testimony. And what this world needs more than anything else right now is it needs believers to be crazy enough to do what he's called them to do. To see life from his perspective and just go against the flow and be who he's created you to be. Let people see the cracks and flaws, but let them see more than anything who's filling those. Because the world, as fast as they're filling it with wax, just like you, it's melting out. And it's very discouraging and depressing. But that gold, man, it stays in there and it becomes more beautiful. But in order to have that happen, you've got to see life from God's perspective. That's what we're trying to do with each other is help each other see that. Man, get involved in a small group, man. Monday night, got them at the beauty salon over at uh, on Orange Avenue in Fort Pierce. Tuesday night, raise your hand, Taco Tuesday. Where's Tina? And back here, and Bree. Man, Taco Tuesday, you can't beat that, man. Bible, so you can come to all of them if you want. Wednesday, man, what do we got going on Wednesday, Mac? Well, we're doing testimonies, and we're, and we're doing a little bit of Bible. Wednesday at what time? Uh, 6, 6.30. 6, 6.30, right, right here, right? 
right in right where we're going to church right here uh, Thursday morning there's a ladies Bible study right here at what time nine o'clock Thursday night there's Buttonwood Bible study right down here in the Pepto-Bismol pink place uh, go down there until you see that that Pepto-Bismol pink building before you get to Stewart public right over above the pool man um, Tom Carlos raise hand right there uh, they've, they've so graciously hosted Man, we're staying in the Word in a small group, helping each other see life from God's perspective. Be in it yourself. Start getting texting with other friends, man. Help each other see life from God's perspective so that you don't try to fill your cracks with wax. Let God fill them with gold and make you into something more beautiful than you could ever be if you didn't have imperfections. Let's pray. Father, I know that came from you because that is not what I planned on saying when I came here. But God, it's so real. And I am so grateful that you have made me way less than perfect. Um, Father, I know I got a home in heaven. That's what the gold on that card reminds me. And I know I have sin in my life. That's what the black color on that card reminds me of. But the red reminds me that when you gave me the desire and ability to surrender my life to you. On June 27, 1988, your sacrifice, Jesus, not only covered my sin, but sent it away, carried it away, and carried it away forever. And on my worst day, as well as my best day, I am accepted by you. I have unconditional love from you and unconditional listening from you. And in that unconditional listening, I know that you constantly expose flaws in my life. But that's why you left me here. That green on that card reminds me that you left me here so that you could expose my flaws and fix those so that when others come and are very concerned and depressed and discouraged about their flaws, I can show them how mine are being fixed by you. As that happens, Father, that green reminds me I grow more in love with you and as I watch you fill my flaws, those cracks with gold, silver, and precious jewels, and make me more beautiful than I ever could even dream of being, Father, um, I fall more in love with you, and then you cause me to fall more in love with other people. Father, thank you for flaws. Help us never to treat flaws in a wrong way again, but to see them for what you created them to be. Help us to learn how to accept your grace to allow you to fix us and make us beautiful and how to share that with others. Father, I am grateful that we do have a home in heaven and when we leave here, there'll be no more flaws. We will live forever in a perfect, flawless place. We will not be able to do anything wrong. There'll be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more Satan, no more sin. And I look so forward to that, Father. So, Father, I pray if there's someone here that is not sure that when they die, they're going to heaven. I pray, Father, you give them a desire they can't refuse to just surrender everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you and trust what Jesus did on the cross to pay for their sins. For those of us who have done that, Father, help us see flaws for what they really are. Thank you for speaking to me in that way this morning. And thank you for being here. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.